Welcome to the Good Courage Podcast. This is Jay Gamlin. Thinking about organizations, uh, primarily churches and Christian ministries and places like that, that, uh, you know, we get stuck into always wanting to produce. And what does it look like to wait and to be patient with wanting God's hand to move? So we're going to talk about vines and Moravians and all sorts of things. So have a listen to this. But first, a moment of gratitude. Today's podcast is brought to you by Indeed, your first source for... I'm just kidding. Makes it sound like I'm a sponsor. I'm just kidding. So stupid. Uh, Actually, the podcast brought to you today is by the most hipsterest of hipster things in the world. But let me just declare right now, for the record, I love avocado toast. I really do. I've been making my own avocado toast, and let me just give you the recipe. It's so easy. You just take an avocado, slice it in half, scoop it out, put it on a plate, mash it up with some kosher salt, lemon or lime, fresh cilantro, and just spread it on a good piece of bread after toasting it with a little bit of butter. And I like to then um, take a little bit of bacon and, sp- and break it up into pieces and sprinkle it on top as well. I, you know, but that, you know, that's up to you if you're into that or not. But I love me some avocado toast. I, there's something about the texture of the bread with the gushiness of the avocado. I know that there are people out there who don't like avocados. I didn't like avocados forever, but for whatever reason, that really floats my boat right now. So I know it's probably the most hipster thing in the whole world to say, and it's kind of, I don't know, pretty ordinary, but I had some avocado toast this morning and it brought me a lot of joy and a big smile on my face so much that my wife joined me for some avocado toast. So yeah, thank you avocado toast for being what you are. And if you've not tried it, just give it a whirl. I bet you'll love it. Thanks avocado toast. So I read a book recently. Well, when I say read, really what I should say is I listened to a book recently. I do a lot of audiobooks. I don't know if you're like me. So I love I love podcasts. I love audiobooks. When I'm out doing work in the yard and mowing it or doing planting things or moving rocks or building a fence or like when I'm bumming around Lowe's or at Target, I love to listen to books. So I usually have like one little earbud in and I'm just always listening to what they're talking about. Uh, do I sometimes forget I'm listening to it? Yep, and then I have to rewind and start all over. Anyway, long story short, I've been listening to a book recently by uh, two authors, Andrew Root and Blair Bertrand, and it's called When Church Stops Working, and it's sort of a it's sort of a condensation of Andrew Root's series. He did a series of books about uh, faith in the secular age, the idea that the current age we're living in is the secular age. It's the age where the church is no longer a Christendom church, that our our cultural waters, that was hard to say, our cultural waters we're swimming in are much more oriented towards a secular understanding rather than a deist understanding. I think a lot of people think of what they're doing as God-led or God-inspired, but I I think it, there's a little bit of fooling themselves that they're actually doing either moralistic therapeutic deism or they're doing even like a Christian nationalism where they are not really um, that. You, I think what most people do, and I, this inc- I find myself doing this all the time because I've my background of just being immersed in a culture that. Uh, you know, highlights white Christian heterosexual men like me that's cisgendered. I mean, so I just, those waters that we swim in just can often mix with our religion until we have a hard time differentiating what is actually the God voice and what is actually our voice. Um, I think I mentioned this before uh, that uh, Tony Campolo said, you know, mixing culture and uh, Christianity is like mi- mixing poop and ice cream. You're not going to ruin the poop. You're only going to ruin the ice cream. So that's kind of mixing culture and uh, the Christ message. It just ends up ruining the Christ message. It doesn't really message. It doesn't really mess up the cultural. Anyway, so he he wrote this really great book and and lots of great insight in a lot of those books and a lot of it I very much appreciated. This one is a book that very closely from the start just kind of says, 
hey, I know a lot of you have read these books and we've done these kind of conferences and we've talked to church leaders in these conferences and and here's sort of a condensation of what we tell those churches. So after you read those books about we're in a secular age, we, we are sort of infected by the secular age. How do we stand apart from the secular age, not as isolationists, but how do we understand what is the Christ message and what is the secular message and how do we not let the values of the secular age sort of infect our Christianity, this, you know, the values of success and drive and being busy and, and all of those sort of things that have sort of crept into our religion. And, and so this book was written to say, hey, you know, when it just doesn't work anymore, what what do we do? So he and Blair Bertrand, I, I, know, I know Andrew Root only like circumstantially, you know, just from, uh, you know, I, I've seen him on a stage. I've never met him in person. Um, seems like a great human. Uh, I think he's the same age I am. So a very young guy. Um, I've never met Blair Bertrand and don't know much about him at all, but I, I'm, I'm certain he's also great. And so I, I've read this book recently and me and my f- good friend, we got together and we've discussed some of the things about that about that book and then kind of reflecting on what it looks like in a church and in a church season and and what does it mean to sort of lead and live into communities when uh when what was happening before just doesn't work uh andrew gives some suggestions talks about some ideas gives some um things like any book it's not the sum total it's not the the end-all be-all of, of possibility. Every place is unique and different, but we're going to take a look at a few of the ideas that Andrew Root shares, and then maybe think about how some of these values can be applied to us, and then perhaps wherever you're living in community as well. So, all right, let's take a break here, and um, let's, no, let's not take a break. Let's just get started. So I, I, I got into this book in thinking about how things have really shifted in um, religious communities around the country and how um, we're finding ourselves in a very weird season. And we are, uh, as a church leader, as somebody who's called to lead an organization of people, it's been very confusing. And, um, you know, it we're in a season where we're sort of recognizing that church just doesn't work like it used to and that things aren't the same and that we're sort of reorienting ourselves and understanding what it means to do life, not only in the secular age, but um, put this as a post-pandemic kind of rhetoric or post-pandemic idea as well, that um, that things are just different. When we're in a very weird season as a community, as as a community of the faithful, and uh, so I'm thinking about the last podcast and thinking about seasons and thinking about what we can learn about being in the secular age. I, I got to thinking about another scriptural passage that I thought would be helpful. Uh, and we, you know, last week we talked about seasons and we talked about gardens and we talked about fruitfulness and we talked about those things. I wanna look at another passage and talk a little bit about this passage. Uh, it's from John 15 uh, and uh, this is one of so in John, there's seven I am passages where Jesus says, I am uh, the good shepherd, I am the gate, I am the bread, I am the life, uh, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way. So, And all of these are, first of all, a wink at the name of God that God gives to Moses in Exodus, where God says, I am, I am. When, they, when Moses asks what, what God's name is, God says, I am. Um, and so... Uh, so it's kind of Jesus winking at the God presence within him. And um, and so anyway, this is one of those I am passages, and this one is called I am the vine, or I am the true vine. Let me, let me just read the whole thing to you at first, and then let's talk a little bit about it in terms of organizations and communities and churches. And then let's talk, we can even reflect a little bit about our own lives. So let's take a look. Um, I'm going to read it to you first. Um, This is from John, the Gospel of John. That's in the New Testament. There's four Gospels. John is the fourth one. Uh, John is the one most concerned with Jesus' teachings and least concerned with things like miraculous events. Uh, if, If there is a miracle that John lifts up, the miracle is only there to explain something about who Jesus is and the Christ in Jesus. And so 
So this was a heavy teaching gospel, and um, this is one of those great teachings that, that Jesus shares. Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my father, that's the words in, in, the, in the scripture, is the gardener. And then I'm going to use some masculine pronouns just to go with gardener. It says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, God prunes, or the gardener prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. Uh, it goes on to say, well, it says, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. That's an interesting phrase. Hang on to that. And no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. And neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So let's take a look at this little thing. So it starts by saying, I am the true vine. Now, whenever we hear that word true, the first thing we tend to do is kind of go into that true and false. So there's this idea that I think some people say like, Jesus is the true teaching and all the other vines are false vines. And so that's not at all what, from what I understand. Oh, and I should mention that. I'm gonna go by memory from what I was taught about this passage. Feel free to do your own research. Send me if you have other ideas or you've read other ways of interpreting this. Um, uh, and or if I'm just completely wrong, feel free to reach out and let me know. But I'm going to go by what I was taught about what this passage means. And so in that horticultural sense of when you plant a vine in the ground, uh, if you look at, feel free to like open up your phone or a computer, take a look at what a grapevine looks like. There's a big central stalk up the middle and then wires are made and then the, the vines go along those wires. That's kind of what it looks like today. That huge central stalk that's what is meant by the true vine. It means the, the centerpiece of the grapevine. It is the main thing that is, connects soil to branches. And so when Jesus says, I am the true vine, it means I am the centerpiece of the, I am the, that center part of the vine, not any of the ones that um, come off of the roots or are, are springing up in other places, but that true vine. So Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. I am the center. I'm that middle vine that you're looking at. And God is like a gardener. God cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. So when we are living in the spirit of God and we're living according to the fruit of which we are producing, when, when we're not bearing fruit, it cuts, it's cut off from us. And while every branch that does bear fruit, here's the interesting thing. It says every branch that does bear fruit, God prunes. Now you would think that you know, as soon as something would bear fruit, you'd be excited. You'd be like, yay, grapes, can't wait to eat them, can't wait to squish them and drink them, can't wait to whatever them. But here, you know, it's really interesting. God, it, it, the, the image is that when something starts to bear fruit, God actually cuts it off. Now, why is that? Here's what I was taught was that when, that, when you first plant a vine uh, and it, you have that first crop, you don't produce you don't let it grow to maturity you actually cut it off why because what i was told to understand was that the roots are not in deep enough to handle the weight of the grapes as they hang from a vine uh, if they're on the ground it's not as big a deal but when you're there hanging it actually can from what i understand become so heavy that it pulls the vine out of the ground and so jesus observing people cutting uh, these grapes from vines has this wonderful way of saying, look at this. So when that first produces fruit, actually God prunes this, God cuts it back so that it will be even more fruitful. That there is a season for that first season of fruit and then that season ends and it's pruned so that more fruit can be produced for the future. I think that's a very interesting analogy and we'll talk more about that in a minute. And then uh, it goes on to say, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. I, uh, a little kind of caveat here that, uh, you know, sometimes, anyway, let me just move on. It says, remain in me as I also remain in you. This idea, so remain attached to me. Remain, it, it means to dwell. It means to be connected to me. So it's saying like, so keep your branches connected to me. Stay connected to me. You cannot bear fruit by yourself. You can't bear fruit without being connected to that central stalk. You need the, the moisture. You need the nutrients. You need the minerals that come up through the soil, the fertilizer. And that is part of what bears you. So by remaining connected to that, that God center, uh, that is where you will find fruit being born. 
And so it says, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And Jesus gets really specific after that. He says in verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. When you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit and apart from me, you can do nothing. The idea then is like, if, if living out a godly life is living out the truest sense of purpose and vision and direction uh, for who we are and how we understand ourselves, uh, that keeping connected to that spiritual center, that godly center, is going to be a place in which we can experience fruitfulness. That uh, that true fruitfulness, and I, this is something I, I am using that word true in a more um, heavy way, comes from when we're living out the very center and core of our purpose as humans, not as not in our vocation, not in our relationship, not in our success, not in how well I built a fence outside of my backyard, but out of my divine purpose planted deep within me that I understand who I am and whose I am and how I live and act and breathe in the world. So this isn't about you going out. If you remain in God, you will become very successful and you will make a lot of money. No, it's really about the fruit and living out um, a fruitful life, which is, I think, the fruit of the Spirit. None of the fruits of the Spirit talk about being successful. They talk about living out of joy and love, having peace, um, a kindness dwelling and rising up in you. So there's something about connecting to that divine soul, that divine DNA planted within us, that that bears the fruit that makes us whole, that makes us feel whole. Um, when we become detached from that, which I have in my life, I can't say my life was better. I didn't. I can't say I had more peace. Now I know some people have had some peace when they've detached from a Christian life, but I I would argue that's because the um, idea of the Christ was already become so toxic and infected by uh, the secular age that it no longer resembled Christ. So that actually what they were rejecting was secularism much more than they were rejecting the Christ. It was just secularism. Um, draped in the garb of Jesus who is demanding you to be fruitful and and you know if you pray this the parking spot will open for you and if you remain connected to God God will give you lots of money and if you pray right then you'll be healed of all your ills and all of those things that just frankly aren't true and so of course they are disaffected by that spiritual connection so I don't mind I, I get in some ways I feel like leaving those places behind was probably the most fruitful thing you could do to surrender those areas that are no longer fruitful. Now, I don't think that God is anti-wealth and pro-poverty, but I think that the teachings of Jesus and the fruitfulness that we have just, so much of our secular age has become so absorbed by what we make and how we use and how we um, gather our wealth that we sort of confuse that. Uh, I do believe that, um, I'm getting on a tangent, but I'm going to go there anyway, that wealth can be a gift to so many people and can be a place of life and source of help and can be used wisely and can be used generously. Uh, I don't, poverty is not itself a virtue. It's not virtuous to be poor. However, Jesus is also very aware of how quickly the secular age and the concepts that we have around wealth can infect and distort our perspective of what it means to be blessed so that we harbor our wealth rather than use it as a way and means of enacting the vision of God into wholeness. So I'm just, I'm just going to put that out there. Let's get back. I'm sorry, we're off, but let's get back to the faith in the secular age and when church doesn't work. So so here's the thing. I think that the church, and I, I really do mean the Western European, North American, Austral-Asian church, um, has been so infected by Christendom and the age of secularism that we are in a season where people are leaving in droves because the church no longer represents the story of Jesus, but instead represents... Um, cultural and political and secular values that we garb in the, the well of Christ. And so we're finding ourselves in a season of pruning and 
we've had a great age of fruitfulness. Great things have been done. I know, I know it's easy to point fingers at the last 2,000 years at the horrible things that people have done in the name of Jesus. That is so true, and those thing, all of those things are so true. But there are also many places of life and love and people finding vision and direction and the feeding of the poor and the hungry and the outcast and many of um, what we would call saints um, from St. Teresa of Avila. Oh gosh, you just have to read her stuff. It's amazing. Or St. John of the Cross or St. Francis of Sisi. These people who truly, um, uh, I just think, understood what it meant when you connected to the true vine, that the fruitfulness in them caused them to live in whole new ways, probably radical ways that are, could not be asked of many people. But that their example showed what it meant to live in that, that something worked for them anymore. But within the church today, it's just not working like it used to. We no longer have these like social norms that are pushing people to have to attend a religious community in order to exercise their place in work and culture. I mean, it was only a little bit ago that you your religion defined whether or not people hung out with you. I remember as a kid, um, you know, my parents would say, hey, uh, uh, or, you know, people would be like, hey, I'm a Catholic. Hey, I'm a Methodist. Hey, I'm a Baptist. Hey, I'm a, I'm a Jewish person. Hey, I'm, uh, I'm from a, a different, it was very rare to find an atheist. And everybody sort of claimed a religious tribe to be a part of because it was such a heavy social norm that if you claimed to be an atheist, you were shunned socially you were pushed off to the side. That is no longer the case. And so we've lost that social norming around religiosity, which feels like a big pruning in our church. Now, add on to that, add on to there was already a shrinking of the church before the pandemic. I really believe that the pandemic was a um, major blow to uh, people within church. I'm not going to say faithful because it's such a such a spectrum to that. It's hard to know what we even mean when we say that, but to people who really attended church really aggressively beforehand after the pandemic, we've seen a major shift. I read recently um, for most organizations, whatever you were pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, you are that minus 40%. So if you were in the VFW, if you were in the Elks Club, if you were in a church, if you were in a club, if you were whatever you were before, you're now that minus 40% is the new norm. Now, where they got those numbers, I'm not sure. I think it was Pew Research. I can't remember where I saw it or it was in an article. So look it up. I could be wrong, but that's what I remember reading. And I've seen that in my own community and I've seen that in communities around us. And for if you know, in the in my tribe, the ELCA, the average attendance was something like 65 people in churches. We just have a gazillion pretty small communities. If you take away 40% of that, that is a major cultural shift and feel within that congregation. And a lot of those congregations are not going to survive that kind of shift. And so it means a rethinking of everything. So we're in this in the community, we're in a drastic season of pruning and, and finding that that what was fruitful is now cut off from us. So what do we do? What does that mean for the community going forward? Is it our is is it our job to go back to the way we were? Are we to try to move forward by looking backwards? Or do we have a new thing we're supposed to do or what, what we're about? I think that um uh, Andrew Root and Brian Bertrand have some ideas for us that I thought were sort of helpful to think about and to ponder. Um, and so let's take a look at those in just a moment. But first, I'd like to play a song for you by a band called Agents of Future called God I Wait. Uh, this is a live recording, so it's a little it's a little bit much, but I think you'll love it as much as I do. I, I love this song, so take a listen. Holiness to So it grows within me. My 
So that was God I Wait by Agents of Future. Uh, this was an experimental community, I think, up in Seattle, and I got connected to them through a campus ministry thing that one of them was involved in, and when I heard this song, it blew me away. I, those who know me know that I've said that you can always have a praise band, but you also have to have a lament band as well, and I love the lament of this song of... I'm just waiting for you to move, and I just can't wait for it. And the groaning of our souls for things to change are is so heavy. It's a great song. Uh, as, as you can see, it just repeats back and forth. I love songs that do that too because when they repeat like that, it really invites you in so that you don't have to keep thinking about what they're saying or thinking. You can just start singing along. So that was God I Wait by Agents of Future. And uh, so let's talk a little bit now about waiting. So let's just talk a little bit about some of the things that Andrew Root and Brian Bertrand share that I think are helpful to ponder. And uh, not an answer, but one way, one thing that we can do. One, uh, the, the primary, I, I, the, the big takeaway from me is that uh, churches, communities, organizations don't like to wait. When things are starting to go in a weird direction, when we get into that season of pruning, we want to immediately work our way out of it. And that is very much a secular age problem, uh, a secular age idea, uh, a, a marker. Uh, there's something broken, let's fix it and let's go back. Let's move forward. Let's go to the right direction. Let's get things to the way they used to be. Let's have ourselves uh, finding a new direction. And, and so there's like, it's, there's an, like, an obsession with, with work and being productive and moving forward when one of the things they say that we could remind ourselves and might do better with is when we're into a season of pruning that we really do have to lean into that season like we discussed last uh, podcast and lean into a season where we have to wait, where we want fruitfulness, we wanna eat the grapes now, but it's not the season and we have to cut them and wait for next season. And we don't want that. We, we want the grapes now. And so there's a temptation to let the grapes go, but then the whole thing gets pulled up and it doesn't work. But the, the parable that Jesus shares here, I think reminds us that not every, first of all, not every season is fruitfulness, but there are seasons of pruning and waiting. Uh, Andrew Root and Brian Bertrand talk about Waiting then means that what we do is that we wait for the resonant, the resonance of the Spirit, the resonance of God to affect us in such a way that we feel the hand of the divine moving us, that we are rediscovering. Doesn't have to be a new purpose, like a new, whole new vision, a whole new direction, a whole new mission, but a, a holy reminder of who we are as the divine people and a holy reminder of where we're called to move forward. He gives some examples of different churches who when one season worked and then that season ended and it wasn't working anymore, rather than trying to plow forward into new programming interests or new ideas or new ministries or new this, new that, they decided to simply wait and see, see what God was going to do in that movement. They talk about the Pentecost story where Jesus says to go and wait and sit in the story. I think we've talked about this on this podcast before, that we have to wait to see where the hand of God moves. And then it's, it's only in the waiting that that Pentecost movement happens. I recently read a story about the Moravian church where they were being, they were being persecuted in the U.S., so they moved to Saxony, Germany, and they entered into a long season of prayer and reading and discernment and just simply being. I'm not talking about a three-month process with a team who gives us a new mission statement. I'm talking about as a whole community going, oh, what are we called? Where are you, God? Where? What are we doing? Our soul's groaning for you to move. Please move. Show us again. Open our hearts and minds to what you have for us. And for the Moravians, in time, there was a date when suddenly there was a great movement of what we would call the spirit, that something happened to that community that infected their heart and soul and united a group of people who are feeling very fragmented. 
Um, they were Lutherans and Calvinists and Baptists and Anabaptists, and they were all together, and they were bickering, and by stopping and listening and waiting, something happened. I think that's another great example. I know that a lot of churches and a lot of communities and pastors like us, we are in the seat where people are saying, Pastor, our numbers are down. What do we do? Pastor, the ministry that we used to do, we can't find servants to help with it anymore. What do we do? Pastor, uh, we used to have 100 kids in Sunday school and now we have five. What do we do? And there's a great pressure on us to enter into those secular values of we need to do and produce and work our way through it. When uh, the offering, one of the possible paths forward I liked from this book is that perhaps our first job is to wait. That's a very unpopular position, I guess. To stop and say, what what is it we're supposed to do? Let me tell you why that's hard for me. Uh, I'm an Enneagram 7, as many of you know, and so one of the gifts of an Enneagram 7 is that we're future-oriented and we're very detailed about that future. So I my, the way that my spiritual director and friend and mentor and guide, uh, Brad Berglund, tells me is like, he says, no, the future is your present. Y- your, your present is consumed with thinking about your future and um, making plans for your future. And the work you do now is all because of the future results that this brings to you. So your present is your future. And that was really helpful to me. And uh, so when, when I don't know my future, it freezes me in the present. That's a part of what happened to me during the pandemic. Uh, you know, I have a lot of energy, as a lot of you know. I love moving forward. I love doing new ideas. I love moving into new things. It's a great thing about being a seven. Problem with it is, is that I, I often just move faster than I have margin for, and I end up planning things that I can't follow through with and, and one of my great heels as a Enneagram 7. And to those of you who have been affected by that, I am sorry for those things in me that, that I'm working on. But anyway, when we were in the pandemic, I, you know, I have all that energy when suddenly I didn't know what my future was. I remember my colleague asking, well, did you just like, like become manic and you just started doing and doing and doing and doing? It was the opposite. Like I froze. I didn't know what my future was, so I wasn't sure what to do right now. And it made my present just intolerable because I wasn't sure what the future fruit was supposed to be. I, I, I was terrible at waiting. I still am in some ways, but I didn't, I didn't know what to do. So it just froze me up. And so I was lost for a while. I think this word is so powerful for me because I see how hard it is for me to do as a church leader that when uh, things are going great, I feel great, but when they don't, I want to work my way out of it rather than to wait to see what God wants to do and how God wants to move in this season. That things have been pruned and now it's my job to wait to see where the new fruit comes. Organizationally, I think for a lot of churches and communities, we are affected by that secular value of production and moving forward. But what would it look like if we did spend more time waiting? Now, waiting... Uh, is very is a very active practice. Waiting is not a passive practice. Waiting doesn't mean we sit with our arms folded and say, well, I'm just going to sit here and wait. The Moravians entered into a, a huge season of prayer and study and community and gathering, um, and that's what waiting looked like for them. Waiting for your community or waiting for my community might say, we keep doing what we're doing. We keep doing the ministries and programs of what we're about and we wait to see what fruit it produces. And maybe it will surprise us. It'll produce fruits in ways we hadn't imagined. But rather than stopping because something is hard or difficult or different or um, whatever, we're called to sit in that, to give ourselves time and grace and hold on to the vision that what we're doing is, is waiting and to hang on to that and to be looking and to be actively seeking where fruit is coming up into the life. So waiting, I think, is a deeply spiritual and beautiful practice uh, which ministries, organizations, and groups can do. Waiting for God's hand to move, not for us to move, but maybe for God's hand to move. Or waiting just to keep stepping forward in good faith, in good courage, 
on paths that we're just figuring out and through those perils, uh, just knowing that we're that 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 we're not abandoned in that and that we're just waiting for that next season to come. I don't know if you're thinking organizationally where your church is. My guess is most churches, most organizations, most Christian communities are feeling the effects of of that pain of pruning and a mourning of the what was of a season of great fruitfulness that isn't anymore. And they are going to try to plant all sorts of new things in the season when it's not right. They're going to be planting all sorts of plants out of season, hoping that they bear fruit, hoping that our work, energy, and effort creates the fruit that we want, rather than remaining, resting, dwelling in the divine presence in and around us. And sitting quietly in the presence of God, waiting and waiting for the movement to be its own thing. Uh, Perhaps that's what you can talk about in those communities that you're in, to say what would it look like if we waited rather than try to produce our way out of uh, this season? What if we entered into a season where we just gather as community and we listen to one another or a season where we try not to add anything new to our schedules and highly programmatic work lives and over-scheduled lives to try to produce our way out, but rather let everything be as it is and wait to see where God's, the hand of God, the movement of God, the divine spirit to blow and move and show us a way forward. Yeah, that's might be what it looks like organizationally. Let's take a little break here and we'll wrap up talking about how this might look personally. John Gregorius, my good buddy John Gregorius. I wish he was my buddy. I've never met him, but I love his work. This is from one of his first albums uh, called Vine and Branches. So I thought it was very appropriate for this podcast and also to turn you back onto John Gregorius. Just kind of new age, I guess, is where it's categorized, but it's just mostly guitar and great sitting in the backyard and watching nature music. So check out John Gregorius. I think you'll love what he does. Mm-hmm. 
So let's just talk a little bit about then what we might take in this passage when we think about our own life as spiritual beings and thinking about what it means to be people who wait and who sit and listen and learn. One of the other one of the other things that Andrew and Brian talked about was uh, what they called watchwords. Uh, one of the things that you're looking for, uh, one of the things that he's seen communities look for, or, or a possible way to, to what you're looking for, is when you start to hear language or you start to hear things in your life that resonate, that the hum of those words or the wisdom behind those words really begin to hum in your own soul and you begin to hang on those words. I don't mean like you're scrolling through Instagram and somebody has a, a quote or a meme and you're like, oh yeah, that's it. But more of the hum of words in which are reflected in community over time that begin to resonate within you about how you are called to live into the next season. So the waiting is watching and then seeing what sort of words, ideas, thoughts, images are penetrating that outer being and moving into your soul that that the, the hum of the song of the universe hums along with those words, those ideas. Uh, you, I've told you my story about good courage, but that prayer has been a hum in my life now for five or six years, and it's it's meant a lot to me. And that idea of uh, the watchword of give me faith to go out and good courage, not knowing where I go, but only that your hand is leading me and your love supporting me. So that that's like a watchword for me that I don't know where I'm going, but I know that I don't go alone. And that's been something that has carried me through a difficult period of time. But as I settle into a new call and a new place, and I'm feeling more settled and more at peace, I find myself not needing to think about courage as much, but I'm moving into a very different season. And my inclination is to immediately produce my way into that season. And personally, I think what I'm being called to do right now is to wait for the next the next season. The one watchword that keeps coming up for me right now in this season is uh, one uh, from a podcast, an idea that we've shared previously about this idea of every step is the way. I've talked about that a lot because it's on my mind a lot. And I find myself in a season where I'm saying I'm just on a journey and the next step will be the next step and whether it's a mess or whether it's beautiful it's okay it's just a part of the journey I can let go of the ideas of success and production and instead just focus on the inward journey and the spiritual journey of connecting to moving forward and simply moving forward and leaning into whatever season that might bring. So that's a part of my waiting watchword, I, I, I believe right now, is every step is the way. Maybe personally, you are in a season of great fruitfulness. Lean in, do it, hang in there, find what that is. Maybe discover the language you're using around this season where you're finding joy and life and goodness and fruitfulness, where you're feeling deeply connected to your sense of purpose and belonging. Create ritual around that celebrate that with your friends, name it out loud with people so they can celebrate with you and hold those things together in this season. But if you're like me and you're in a season of waiting, begin to, maybe the work we do in this, this the, act, the action of waiting is to enter into a season of deep contemplation, of getting out of your head a little bit maybe like well I, let me that is uh, one that boy that was really directed 1000 percent at me again enneagram seven who lives fully in my thoughts and then does what i'm thinking and avoid feeling that's me so what i'm saying to me maybe is to stop trying to think your way through it and stop trying to do your way through it but feel out this time and maybe grieve which, whoo, suddenly that hurts. 
grieve what is lost behind. I don't like the dark feelings as a seven. I want to just stay in the happy. And so maybe waiting for me means to grieve in this season and to grieve the things I've lost and to grieve the season of fruitfulness I had and to not just try to turn it into a positive, but to really sit in it and say, boy, I could have done that better. I could have lived that better. I'm sorry for the things I've hurt and the things that have hurt me and the people around me. I'm sorry for the sadness I bear for communities that are in pain because they're changing. Rather than just, come on, everybody, we can do it. Maybe I, maybe I need to sit in the grief of my community and my friends who are living into new things. So that's Jay. Woo, that was a Hmm. Yeah, that was a divine moment for me right there. Hmm. Hmm. So what does waiting look for you in this season? I guess for me it's to enter into my feelings. What does it look like for you? And how do you can you actively wait and see what God is doing and to find the season of waiting is something beautiful and important not something you can work your way out but to rest in it and to engage perhaps new spiritual practices to to grow into maybe they're active practices like yoga or running or exercise or eating mindfully or taking walks or or those sort of things. Maybe they're more quiet practices where you enter into a new season of, of discovering new ways of praying. Maybe it's maybe if you. I bet. I bet. Ninety-five percent of the people this is reaching finds that their prayer life is pretty um, quiet right now, and that's not shameful. That is okay. What would it mean to simply activate that piece of you to say, "God, I'm here and I'm listening." And that be your prayer for a while. I'm waiting and I'm listening. And to sit quietly for 20 minutes every day. uh, Without a phone, without book, without music. And to sit in that and say, God, I'm listening. I'm waiting. I wonder what that would be. Or what if you find that there's some books and authors that are going to help you in this season that you can do that now just be careful that you don't turn that book and author into production that you're going to read your way out of this waiting but maybe finding that book and that author is a companion in your waiting and in helping point you into your waiting as opposed to out of it we all have seasons like this we can't be forever fruitful our bodies can't forever exercise they break down our minds can't be forever active they they blow up Our uh, hearts can't forever be in love. Sometimes they have to rest. Our season sometimes means we lay fallow and we wait for the fruit of the next season. And maybe you'll feel like the gardener has pruned something out of your life that you're grieving right now. Grieve that. Listen to that. Be in that. But then rather than trying to work your way out, maybe just wait for it. Maybe find a community that's willing to wait with you. A group of friends, mentors, guides, people you look up to. Maybe maybe they can wait with you and sit with you. One of the only things in that great parable of the Old Testament when Job was grieving, whether that his friends sat in the ashes before they said a word with him for a week. or Maybe it was three days. I can't remember. I think it was three days. Doesn't matter. Point is, they just sat with him for a while. And maybe finding those people to sit with you Maybe that is, uh, maybe that's where you are in the season of waiting. If you're not waiting, great. If you are waiting, maybe this is a help to you. But my prayer is for you that whatever season that you're in, that you would have good courage, that you would step forward and trust, knowing that you're not in this season alone, that there is a divine life uh, dwelling in you and around you and um, walking with you through this season. So may you have good courage in whatever season you're in, and if you're in a season of waiting, may you wait patiently for God's hand to move. Thanks for listening to the Good Courage Podcast. I'm Jay Gamlin. 
As always, all heresies and ideas belong to me and no one else, so if you have a thought, question, declaration, gripe, send it to thehouseofgoodcourage at gmail.com. Our song, When You Go, is from the unflappable Matt Fagan. As always, please like this podcast, share it, uh, write a review. It makes a big difference. So until next time, good courage. I wish you'd never go.